Comrades and friends from the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. Uh, this is Rob. We're in the bunker studio. Uh, super producer Carl is here, as always, on the knobs. And today, I'm very happy to introduce uh, Deshana Neal. She is an advocate. She's an activist. She's an author. She's also running for state rep in RD13. Correct. That's correct. That's I'm correct. so I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Sorry it took so long to answer emails. I looked at them and was like, I'll reply later. You know what? <laughs> two two weeks is, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised how long. So so I want uh, before we get into it, I will say that I want to be pretty clear about what we're doing here. We call it the bunker bump. We've talked to people who have uh, been running for office, and some people knew him, some people didn't know him. The list includes Eric Morrison, Marie Pinckney, Medina, Larry, Kyle Evans Gay. Uh, I think we did we talk to Ray Moore before? Uh, the, no, it was after. After, okay. And again, the other, the reverse bump, the downward bump was Del Colo. He was a senator, but then he was on, and we gave him the reverse bump. I I I talked to him uh, so much that he he lost. Um, so I'm I'm really interested in getting your getting your whole platform and story out because I haven't done too much research, <laughs> but what I've done is extremely exciting. <laughs> um, so uh, first of all, the way we start all of these is. Um, where are you from? How'd you grow up? And, and sort of what was it like? Like, how, how did it shape you? How did it shape your ideas? And, and then what you're doing today? Oh, gosh. Well, we're going to be here for about 1,000 years. Well, Carl's <laughs> got to edit this. So. <laughs> oh, good. Well, sorry, Carl. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm actually a Wilmington, Delaware res- like native. I was born here. I was born in Wilmington General Hospital. Um, obviously I'd never seen it, but my mom reminds me, you were there. I was like, okay, mom, I did not have an existence yet. (laughs) Um, and I grew up in what they consider inner city near Market Street, near, um, the Market Street library, the cemetery. That was my stomping grounds. And this was in the eighties. So things were definitely different. I always tell my kids like back in the eighties. My dad would give me a list of which cigarettes he wanted, and I'd be going down the street to get them. And they'd sell them to me, and I was five. <laughs> and my kids are like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was a different world. I try to talk about, I try to tell young young people like Carl sometimes that it was a different world out there. They don't get it. It really was. And, um, you know, I got to bring back the change. But, <laughs> you know, um, and one of the beauties about growing up in the time I did was that our family, like my extended family, we were all within a few miles of each other. Um, you don't really get to see that as much anymore. So if I wanted to go to my grandparents, I'm like, I'm going to go walk to my grandparents. And right down the street was my aunt, you know? And so like, it was, it was nice to have the community, but it was also like, oh no, if one person, if I get in trouble, everyone knows it. And now I'm in trouble with everyone. Um, and I had that neighborhood where I could just go to my neighbor's house and feed me cookies you know, usually against my mom's wishes because I was so adorable. <laughs> um, and it was just really nice and really, it was a village. And I guess because I was brought up in that mindset, that world, community and a village has always been important to me. Um, I am uh, the first generation of inner city kids that were beginning to be bused to suburban schools. So my mom chose for me to go to the Brandywine District rather than the Red Clay District because she, at the time, heard that it was a much better district. Um, And she wanted, I guess, like any other black parent in particular, wanted me to get out, you know, of what what she knew, Um, racism, poverty. She thought that would be the way out for me. And so I went, I was in the Brandywine District from 
first grade up, um, graduated from Concord in the year 2000. I joke with my kids, like, and the world was going to end because Y2K. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Uh, do, do people still know the Y2K <laughs> thing? Like, it was it was actually uh, right around the time Carl was born. So I don't know if he remembers that, oh, that whole thing. Oh, so funny. That everybody, we were going to get in a bunker because everything uh, was going to end. Yeah. Everything was going to end because the computers can't read. The computers, yeah. <laughs> now we, the computers can read everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you just say, I like tacos. You turn on your computer and there's just ads. And you're like, what? I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yesterday, I was, uh, yes, one day this week, I was having a conversation at a, at a pub with friends about something off I don't know if it was a book that somebody had read and asked me about or something off the wall. And then after dinner, I go on my phone, I go on Twitter, and the first paid ad is what we were talking about. What? And I'm like, motherfucker, it's listen to what I'm <laughs> they're saying. Yeah. I mean, people have no idea. We we had to call people on the phone before we went out to tell them where we were going to be. Exactly. Like, I'm so angry that I can't memorize phone numbers anymore. <laughs> like, I'm like, what happened to my I brain? I know. I know. But, uh, yeah, you know, I graduated and I went to college and I was not ready for that. I should have taken a gap year. I normalize gap years to my kids because I'm like, you got to give yourself a break. Where did you go? Um, well, my first college was Cedar Crest College. Um, and then I got to Westchester where I met my ex-husband and found out I was pregnant with my oldest. So I decided to be a mom and, <laughs> you know, I always joke with people I'm like no one really does, you know, expects much out of being a parent. You know, you got to raise the kid, you got to feed them, you got to, you know, take care of them. But no one told me, oh, and by the way, your kid might come out as trans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm just, I was like, what? But, um. I want to talk about that uh, more in depth with you as much as you want to. Because, oh, yeah. Uh, because, um, it's, um, uh, it be it's become the new, um, the new, like, hot button item. Like, the new, the new reactionary thing that's going to ruin us all. Yeah. You know, so they have to pick something that's. Yeah. They don't understand. Exactly. So it's this, it's. I mean, and as we were saying, we're yeah. both old enough to remember where yeah. if t two men couldn't get married, that was crazy. Right. Or, you know, when when I was, I'm a little bit older. I graduated uh, high school in uh, 92. Okay. So I'm a little bit older. So, I mean, it was like, gay people were in the closet yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And so I remember how people use this reactionary bullshit to, like, make a big deal about it. And I'm and I'm very interested in your yeah in your, in your take on it because I know you have one before uh, before we get there though let's 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 because I feel like that's yeah. going to go off on a on yeah a tangent. it will so <laughs> before we get there um let's talk a little bit of just about your background um sort of the kind of advocacy you're doing mm -hmm. um the 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 work that you're doing and also sort of what motivated you to sort of jump in the ring and uh, and uh, and run for office. You know, standing for office is like a kind of a weird thing. Um, you have to put yourself out there uh, in a system that um, you know you may or may not agree with, with people yeah. that you may or may not like. But you're trying to do it for a particular reason. And right. I'm just interested in in that sort of um, progression to this idea that like I'm going to stand. I'm going to try to do this. Yeah. Um, well, according to my mother, it started. It was started when I was young enough to speak words. Um, being the youngest of eight children, um, you know, you can you disappear in the fold. So to keep myself from disappearing, you got to be loud. You have to be persistent. And, you know, the child born before me, my brother is 10 years older than I am. So when I say I'm the youngest, I am. I was among adults always. Um, but I never had an issue making sure what I had to say wasn't heard. And. I do remember, I uh, believe it was second grade, and this should have told my mom. Like, <laughs> she should have known what I was going to be, but um, <laughs> she really should have known. That's such a funny way to say it. That's funny. <laughs> I, I loved the library. I loved reading. So I went to, I remember going to the library because I had to do a book report 
and we had to uh, dress up as the person in the book and tell a little bit about them. The parents were going to be there and they're going to be like, oh, our babies. And I found my very first book with a black person that I had never heard about in my schools. We didn't talk about that stuff. Um, but I knew my skin was different because my first day of first grade, I had a kid ask me why my skin was so dirty. And that's when my parents had to talk to me about the difference between blackness and whiteness. That's how, that's what, that's what spurred that yeah. conversation. So I ended up picking a book out called Freedom Train. And it was the story of Harriet Tubman. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> so I read this book. And I am in awe, and she became my hero. Like going through the dangers, but doing what you have to do for the reasons you have to do them and save the people, because it's not just about you, it is about all. So I remember dressing up as Harriet Tubman, and I like wore my sister's big old skirt and like came to school, and my, my mom and dad are there, and I, <laughs> I'm surrounded by all white kids, because I was the only black kid in the class at the time. And they're all like, I'm George Washington, or I'm Thomas Jefferson. And then I come in and like, I'm Harriet Tubman. I was a slave by your people, and I wanted freedom. <laughs> so I did it. And my mom, my poor mom, like one of like three black parents <laughs> in the audience is like, oh, no. She was proud. <laughs> she was. She, she was, was also. I was just like, I think at the end she said I was like, so remember, white people, stop slaving black people. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> and she said everyone was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of knew, you kind of knew there was work to do. Like people didn't know what was up and you kind of, yeah. you wanted to, you felt moved to, to take that on. Yeah. I think I just wanted to educate people from a start. And I wanted to show the world that regardless of differences, if you start hurting one person, you're going to end up hurting every single person in the end. Because once they're done hurting one group, they got to move to another group to mess with. And it's just dominoes. And my whole purpose in life was to ensure that people, regardless of their abilities or not, or just people who like taking naps like me, still felt empowered. Because um, when you are little and you start watching the environment around you, go from this village community world to people killing each other and drugs and my I watched my world shift and I don't think a lot of people recognize that as they call us uh, the older millennials <laughs> I'm Gen X so we're forgotten I like it because I can lay back in the cut and nobody remembers what we did but I don't think people realize especially for the black community in Wilmington and deep in Wilmington, we literally watched villages being torn apart because of systematic racism, because mom and pop stores were being devoured by big corporations. And we watched as land was being taken from us. And what I mean by that is gentrifying areas and raising the cost to live and people being squished further and further together until they're so caged and angry, the only people they have to fight is each other. And I watched what used to be to me a fairy tale. And some can say, well, you were a child, you didn't know. But just because I'm a child, I do know the difference between this guy was really cool with that guy a few years ago. Now they are trying to kill each other. What's going on? Um, and so I watched that world change and I wanted to do something you know, I even tried to do the Hands Across America thing, if we remember that. I remember that. Yes. I, and you must have been really little, because I feel I, like I was yeah. little. You must have been tiny, tiny. Yeah, so imagine tiny me going through my entire blocks of my community and like, we're doing this at this time. And we all came out and held hands. And I remember organizing this thing. And because <laughs> I was like, maybe if we do this. Yeah, look it up, folks. Look it up. <laughs> Carl, uh, Carl, are you familiar with Hands Across America? Do you know what that was? I am familiar with the concept. I don't know it happened. that much about the con context. Yeah, I mean, it was a thing. Like, And again, this was before the internet. Yeah. This was before cell phones. This was before, like, there was cable TV. So I think there was maybe 30 channels mm -hmm. and the newspaper. 
That's what we got. And I don't know how old you were. We can look it up. But I feel like I was maybe early teens, like 10, 11, 12. So maybe you were five or six. Maybe five, six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a thing where um, everybody was just going to come out. Local news was going to cover it. And, it was, and it, you just held hands, uh, and it was hands across America. Everybody did it. Yeah. And it was it was actually pretty big. Like, everybody knew it was happening. Like, it was it happened, you know, in every town, in every city, in every neighborhood. Like, not everybody participated, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was a thing that was known, like, before this big. Yes. Before, yes. before everything was, like, viral. It was viral when you had to call people on a landline. <laughs> yeah. It was landline viral. Did you see me on the news? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Channel 6 cover you told the next morning you were calling somebody on the fucking landline telling them you did hands across America at the Banning Park. I'm in the news journal. Yeah. But you know what? It was that. You know, I try to think back of different times that pushed me to where I am now. That was one of them because when it was over, and I think it was, like, a week or two later and the violence was still happening and people were still hungry. I think it was like the cure world hunger. Like they made you think world hunger was a disease and holding hands was going to cure it. <laughs> yeah, there was no there was there's no uh, there's never there's never a discussion about like what that really is. Yeah. It's, it's a thing and we're all sad about it. Yeah. And we wish it wasn't happening. Yeah. But it is happening and there's really nothing we can do about well, it. Well, let's hold yeah. hands. Let's hold hands, yeah. And that was my first i think crash into reality that it takes more than holding hands to make things right and so i i think i was very angry i think i just the the uh reactive anger of the scorpio that is me uh came out and i'm like no we can't hold hands and expect hunger to disappear we could try feeding people. And I'm like this little kid speaking like this. And I'm like, why don't we just just feed people? <laughs> don't, there's food right here. <laughs> and and so it kind of, that stayed with me, that, that little burn that started growing in me. And then I became a mother to a child who just wants to exist. And I was dealing with discrimination after discrimination just to be her mom. And it went from fighting just for her to fighting for any parent of children who are trans so that they wouldn't have to experience what I had to go through just to ensure that she was treated like my other children. And then I was, I I worked on policies. I, I would go to lobby days and it was a couple people who were like, you should run for office. It took a long time for me to say yes. <laughs> I was like, I have too much to do. you know. But then um, I had this interesting conversation during my RD, one of my RD meetings. And it solidified my decision to run. So, yeah. <laughs> who had this conversation with you? Can we, can we expose them? My, uh, my opponent. And I had a conversation. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that a little bit because your opponent is uh, is Larry Mitchell, right? Is that that's who he is, yeah. right? Now, I don't trust a guy called John. His name is John, but he goes by Larry. Number one, that's suspicious. <laughs> that's fucking suspicious. Sorry, <laughs> that's number one. Number two, <laughs> cop, right? Ex cop. I mean, there's nothing more. Sus- I mean, suspicious doesn't even fucking start to cover that. <laughs> uh, how long has he been a rep? Like thirty years, fifty years, hundred years? <laughs> Again, th- that's a hat trick of suspicion. <laughs> sus, 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 and sus. <laughs> so, yeah, I was. The, it's funny because I wanted to ask you who talked to you because I was excited to be like, oh, was it a like an organizing conversation? What happened? Like. I know that that district, like, um, that's Jordan Pusey's district, right? Yeah. Because I know she's fucking dope. She's very active in it. Yeah. But then you're like, no, what actually what actually inspired me was that fucking guy. <laughs> Do you want to talk about, like, how, how that really went? It really wasn't like, that serious. It was just. But, like, but it was something, it was, something yeah. happened that, that, that resonated with you. And yeah. it motivated you. Yeah. I think it was, I was coming down from dealing with. A lot of like uh, anti-trans things, right. and I was 
I was in my Scorpio petty mood. I was like, look, I'm I'm petty today. And I remember I told Jordan, I'm like, Jordan, I'm I'm petty today. I'm being extra petty. And she's like, what the capital P? I'm like, all the P's. <laughs> a couple P's. Yeah, Jordan Jordan's a friend and a friend and comrade of the show. <laughs> and I can tell you I understand exactly how this conversation went, yes. And so, you know, we had our meeting and you know, I'm just there at the time as a member and we were talking about SB three the bill to get the permit to purchase. And I was just listening and listening. And I'm trying to understand what he was saying and why he didn't like it. But what was happening in my mind was my community is dying. My community that looks like me, we are dying. No child should wake up, hear pop, 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 and be like, just another Thursday, you know, and just go to school. The the mental toll, the spiritual, emotional, and community toll that the gun violence that is occurring is having on people is being swept under the rug. And as someone who witnessed a homicide with a gun when I was about 17 in my own neighborhood and like I witnessed it. Um, not thinking that having certain things like this, having these types of laws in place will only make things worse because you don't like it. Does It just doesn't make sense to me because this is not about what you like or you don't like. It's about lives. And I'm sitting here listening to someone who just reminded me of every person who has tried to tell me that racism doesn't exist. It's not that bad. This isn't that bad. Yeah, okay, so we maybe tried to slip a bill against gay people, but it's not terrible, you know, because we have a gay friend. You know, it's like saying, it, that would be me saying, I have a friend with a gun. You know? <laughs> but no, it, just because you don't want to have to go through certain things to have a permit to purchase does not mean you get to also put the other lives of people in your hands. And I just sat there. And so I I spoke up. I don't normally speak up, um, but I spoke up. This was the first time I think I had ever really spoke and I was like, you know, what I'm hearing is that the you're not talking about straw purchases. You're not talking about guns on the streets. What you're saying is you don't want to pay the money to have to go through training. I would pay a million dollars just to save the life of one mother's son. It wouldn't matter. And I'm like, and if you're talking about horrendous gun crimes, not, you know, inner city gang shootings or squabbles or someone had too much moonshine and things got a little hairy. But if you're talking about the horrendous ones we're seeing, mass shootings, just taking out dozens of people, these are not being done by people who have illegally purchased their guns. These are done by people who have the legal right to own those guns. And I was asked, I would like to see the facts on that. I'm like, strange you should ask. <laughs> I did a paper on it. <laughs> for... I'm, so, I'm so, it's when you get to do that thing that people get to do. Um, they do it as a tick, but sometimes, or like a, a, a thing when you're being interviewed, but they'll go, uh, that's such a great question. Yeah. <laughs> because and I like, know exactly what to tell you. Actually, and it was just, but the fact that I sat there listening to pretty much someone say my discomfort of having to maybe do a little extra is not worth the lives of people being impacted, particularly the BIPOC community. It That little fire that was there just... And afterwards, you know, we signed off and I just, I go, Jordan, I'm done. I'm running for office. Like, give me whatever you need. 
Yeah. Because Jordan was also pushing me to run for office. As you do. Well, look, well, shout out. You see, we know what she does. So I was like, I'm ready to do this now. Yeah. That's profound. And here's what I think. And I want you to, I don't, I don't know whether you would think of it this way or whether you think this is a bunch of horse shit or not. <clears throat> but a lot of these issues, and guns is a funny issue to me because I, I understand that there's an, there's a, there's a bad problem. I just don't, I don't really know how to solve it. And so I'm, I deprioritize like arguing about it. Right. However, what you said, I think, sort of is applicable to all different sort of issues. It's this idea that the individual can't be inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to take the broadest view of whatever we think this is, whether it's an economic issue, whether it's guns, whatever it is, whether it's a business owner, a real estate right. owner, capital. The most important thing is that we're the, the, the people that have the most privilege and the most capital and the most influence get to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so anything that's inconvenient or seems to curtail that doing of it mm-hmm. is like you, everyone is supposed to genuflect to that. Yeah. And be like, oh my God, can you believe he, that person was inconvenienced? Yeah. They had to pay $50 for a safety thing. Well, that's not in the Constitution. You know, one of those things. And so I, that's how I kind of frame that idea. And I think that concept needs to be fought at every level on every issue. Right, right. Because, like, like it or not, like, you may not like it. And you may think that it's unconstitutional. But there are a bunch of other people who live here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what you think about how that relates to your... Right. Or what, like, what uh, Slavoj Zizek would call ideology. But your, your, pure, your pure ideology might say one thing, but we all have to live here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. That's what sort of is a motivating thing. When you were saying that, that's what made me think of. Yeah. And in my entire platform, just in of life, is that it's... I'm tired of people being comfortable while the rest of us who are under them remain uncomfortable. Like, come on, let's shift a little bit of the weight here. It it won't hurt you as much as you think it does. And it that's just a number of things that, you know, I realized I, I don't understand why no one sees this. Like, it, you know, I'm like, it's literally... It's right there. And when I say it's, I'm like, the people are right there. They're literally begging you. I'm like, every time I have to, like, my cousin year, several years ago was murdered from uh, gun violence. He was 18. And my, it's my second cousin, he's my cousin's son, but watching her have to bury her son and as a mom who has two sons as well I don't I didn't like that so much and I'm like wouldn't it have been interesting if maybe the people who did it once they got the casings and they matched it to the gun and they can find the gun and go well this is the gun oh but it the serial number's been filed off but who was the last person to have a permit on this gun oh there they were Okay, let's go see if this gun was stolen. Because what if it wasn't and they just sold it doing a straw purchase? Well, now you're in trouble. Because you sold the weapon to the people who used it in in a homicide. And if we have enough people realizing, I don't want to get in trouble for their actions. I think eventually like, yeah, you know what? I want this permit thing. Because if it's stolen, then you're fine. Like, you know what? I reported it. Here's the report. Blah, blah, blah. It's there to protect you, too. And it's definitely there because after a while, people aren't going to want to sell their guns to someone on the street for extra money because it can come back to them. And um, I just, 
I just think we don't need to keep making it so moms and dads are used to burying their children or family members because of gun violence and children wake up in the morning, see a chalk outline and go, well, got to get to the school bus. Let's play hopscotch. You know, like it's, it just bothered me how easy ignoring people was with him and how easy in general ignoring the people you don't want to think about or see can be. Yes. So. Yes. Yes, that's exact. That's perfect. You actually took, I don't know, I talked for like two minutes, but (laughs) you said it in a sentence. People find it very easy to ignore other people's problems because it's inconvenient for them. And uh, to have no, you know, it doesn't matter. They have to make this argument. Right. Um, Before we get to um, trans issues, civil liberties issues like that in your book, I do want to ask you about if there's any sort of legislation now that you think you would have an opinion on or something you could do Currently, if you were, say, in the seat today, what are some of the things you'd be thinking about uh, based on, like, the the reality as it is with people pushing bills as they are, what do you think you would be doing? What's what's interesting you with with what's going on there there this session? Um, Legalization of marijuana is such a big thing for me. And it makes, every time, every time it doesn't pass, I just sit here like... Well, so so what's your take, and, and, and this will come out in the next week or two, so it went down, but uh, but uh, Osinski has, has sort of reintroduced it. There was a story out this week from Chris Barish and WHYY that while, while, while our buddy um, Pistol Pete, while he's against it, and he'll never vote for it, he won't lobby against it, but he'll tell people to do something else to get it passed, because I guess he knows the governor will veto it. I don't know what. It's the stupidest fucking thing I ever heard of. But that's where we are right now. So it looks like it might come back up. It should. And so what? what where, <laughs> where, where are you at? Like, where are you at with it? Like, how's it gonna go? Do you think? Um, I think the people who are kind of hovering over it need to understand that this is not about the. Yeah, I already before I got. Here. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Um, Carl will probably cut that. Out. No, I'll leave that in. Um, because just because I think it's their soul on the mindset of oh it's drugs and drugs bad war on drugs remember that commercial with the egg in the pan this is your brain on drugs this is your brain I was like that's an egg but <laughs> that's fried egg I've seen fried eggs I I'm still remember that I showed my kids that commercial and they're like now I went now I went breakfast mom <laughs> breakfast is on drugs <laughs> but um, when I talk about it. I talk about it from a mental health, medical health care standpoint, because that tends to make people understand it and see marijuana in a different light. So you might say, well, we already have medicinal marijuana. Okay, great. Wonderful. But one, not everyone can get that card. Not everyone can afford to renew it. And that's not equitable. Um, I have a chronic disability. I have lupus and I get severe hemiplegic migraines, which mimic stroke. I am in pain constantly. I also take about 12 different prescribed medications. Two are injections. And I realized the side effects So I actually have someone on my team doing this research right now, and she's just sent me some stuff. I'm going to read it tonight. When they talk about life expectancy when it comes to certain um, autoimmune disorders, chronic disabilities, so on and so forth, what they don't necessarily bring up, it's not the disease that's actually going to take you out. It is the medication that hurts your organs, and they can't filter them for long. A lot of times the people who die from from lupus or from even just 
basic migraines because they can't take it anymore, comes from the fact that they have the access to the prescription medicines that are given to them and they either A, can't take the pain anymore so they just overdose or their liver can no longer function removing the toxins of all the different medications that they have taken or are taking. This can be stopped and can be reversed if you give doctors the ability, so legalizing marijuana, to give doctors the ability to write a script. And they take the script, they go to a dispensary that's regulated and taxed by the government, just like alcohol and cigarettes, get some money from it too. Well, what you see is, it's interesting to me because you see somebody like Pete Schwartzkopf was quoted in the paper this week, in the paper. It's an old thing to say. Was quoted in that article this week uh, that basically says, "I see, I, I see what's happening. Like I see this is like a fait accompli, basically." And so it's not. There's an understanding that it's fine. Like it's going to happen. But the only reason it really doesn't happen to me is the police angle. Yes, is that it's used as a um, mm-hmm. pretense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw, you know, our our. Our friend and comrade, uh, Lakeisha Nix's brother, was killed uh, because cops were poking around saying it smells like weed in here. And so that's really the reason. Oh, yeah. And nobody comes out and sort of says th- this part of it. Well, there's another reason. And I've mentioned this whenever I go out to dinner <laughs> with my girlfriends because we talk crap about everybody. No. Um, I love it. They would have to go back through our entire judicial justice system and re- get rid of get the sentences of people who just got in there for a little bit of weed here and there, expunge their records and let them live. If you lose your prisoners, where are you going to get your privatized money? Yeah, or and not even that, <laughs> and not even in, in at least in in Delaware, the pr- the prisons themselves are at least the state run prisons, but you have. Um, you know, when people get out, they have their own probation, their yeah. own parole. They need housing. Everything's like, well, we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a piss test. So if you smoked weed, you can't get you can't get a house. Right. You can't. You're you're busted off parole or or probation. Exactly. Um, I heard I heard one of the um, one of the staff of the Teamsters. So a, a a more radical militant wing of the Teamsters has been elected to the national uh, union. And he says one of the things about truck drivers is they test for marijuana. So it's like if you smoked pot two weeks ago, you can't drive a truck. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But but that that is there's we have to break that sort of like Mind, uh, that mindset. That, that mindset. It's not yeah. working for anybody. It's really not. I I always. What did I tell? Um, I was talking to my my older two children. They're eighteen and seventeen, and I was like just talking about different things. And my 17-year-old goes, you know what's kind of weird, Mom? The way our justice system works, it's the um, definition of insanity. They keep doing the same things, but they expect different outcomes, and they don't get it. <laughs> this is my 17-year-old. Well, here's the way I, here's my <laughs> response to that, because that's a very astute observation. <laughs> but what I would say, whether people do this uh, sort of knowingly or, or not, because some people I don't think really know it. No. But the outcome, actually, that's the outcome that's coming out is fine for those people. for them, correct? Exactly. And so it's not that it keeps failing, and they, and they keep doing the same. The, what what's actually happening? The 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 transfer of wealth to the private sector to small to a small number of hands in the private sector that continues. Yeah, a, a pace. Um, you know, I don't have to use a cliche like uh, the economic, right. you know, the income inequality. Right. And that. Like that. The reason is that what we see as a problem, they see as something, as you very astutely said before, is something that we need to try to ignore. Yeah. Or 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 at least distract people from. Exactly. So you can try to ignore it, really. And, you know, again, when I go into so... I can't, what you were saying about the truck divers, okay, now we can't even work and make money, which puts us behind, but I have sickle cell traits, so I get pain crises, and I just said, I'm in pain, 
And my doctor's like, here's some oxycodone. You know? And You're I'm like, like, I don't oh, want that. I don't want that. I, I don't like how that makes me feel, but people get it and they drive. And then they get used to it and they start not getting it anymore. And then yeah. we fall into the cycle of our opioid crisis. There's so many things that legalizing marijuana in Delaware can not so much fix, because that's going to be a lot more, right? but can at least put some ease, you know, easing off that break a little. But again, as I said earlier, as you were, you know, reminding me is that it's about their discomfort and the fact that they don't want to be uncomfortable. We're asking people, we're asking people in high places who have a lot of power to let go and then be okay with that. And they don't want to do any of those things. But they have to. Eventually, they're going to have to. They can't stay like this forever. They can try, but we're getting a lot louder, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, now's the time. So let's 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 get into it. Um, I don't talk about um, LGBTQ issues that much. Um, however... I think now's the time to make a a statement, and this is going to be my statement. And I'm glad we sort of talked about like my age before, <laughs> because I remember, you know, when it was like, if there were rumors that someone was gay, it was like a, kind of a scandal, whether it was like in the culture or personally, like someone that you knew that was in the closet was gay. Um. And so all these arguments that you hear about uh, grooming or everybody thinks everybody wants to have sex with everybody or it's deviant or, or it's unnatural. or th- These arguments have been made for 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years. It's the same fucking stupid shit. Yeah. People are, just want to live their fucking lives. Um, there's been... Um, intersex people throughout history. It's very well documented. There's been trans people. There's been uh, homosexual and bisexual people. This is an issue that reactionaries are using to, as we said before, distract you from the fact that a few different people in this world want to suck all the value for themselves and leave people destitute and ground into the dirt. Don't fucking fall for this. We have to stand up for every marginalized person, however they want to live their life. Don't fall for this nonsense about, uh, you know, the teachers are, are saying that this is the same shit we heard about everything since I've been a little kid and before. And so I'm... I'm going to take the, the, the far radical position and, uh, and really start to push people because I'm, I'm sort of tired of it, sick of it. And I think that's what people are, are and, and I'm, I wonder what your take on it is because I know you're outspoken about it, you're an activist about it, and, and you're connected to it. I, I'm not, right. but I can understand why it's coming to a head right now. For a bunch of different reasons, a bunch of different sort of intersectional reasons, um, but I'm the, 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 I'm starting to not be nice about it anymore. It is what it is, and I'm fucking tired of it. But in any case, I've done my 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 rant. Um, <laughs> talk about um, the what it means to you, um, your experience with it, as much as you care to share, sure. and 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 um, yeah, talk about your activism around it because I think it is profound. Uh, one, I am tired at the school board meeting for Red Clay's policy 8005, which for anyone who doesn't know, that was a policy I helped draft. Um, and I shaped, helped shape with a group of wonderful people um, to add extra protections to, for transgender and gender expansive students in the Red Clay district. This was setting a precedent because Red Clay is the largest district in Delaware. And so this passing of this of this policy will now help the smaller school districts if the time comes they want to also shape their own policies and try to get these protections in. Um 
when it was time for me to speak at public comments, I had a whole thing written out. I don't know why I write stuff out because I never read it. I, I guess I just like paper. That's um, how you gather your thoughts. Like, oh. I do the same thing. And I ended up just saying I was tired. I turned to the crowd and I was like, I'm tired. I have been coming to these things, coming to different places, talking about the same thing over and over again. Just do what you got to do and just leave people alone. Um, my favorite part was the nine-year-old whose parents definitely wrote her public comment because she did come up and she was like, I don't want men in the bathroom with me and I also don't want my taxpayer money going towards this policy. And we all were like, you have you pay taxes you're nine <laughs> and so um that was my favorite uh re reading of the night but my activism gosh it i would say it started when my daughter trinity transitioned um when she was four but you know no one knew what that was yet i, I barely knew it really wasn't until she was about to start puberty and we needed to block her puberty so that she wouldn't develop as a male, cis male. And we, you know, I, I'm poor. I'm, you know, not a rich person. So I have Medicaid and Medicaid denied her treatments. And I learned, that's when I learned, you don't mess with my children. <laughs> um, so I went up against Medicaid itself. <laughs> I <laughs> I didn't know I could do something like this, but um, I the you know I had a great amazing doctor, her doctor by my side, but it was up to me to fix this because she was she's still a person, and this is life saving <laughs> medicine. This is a treatment, and if my other children could get treatment at the drop of a hat, so can she. It ended up. After eight months, I wrote this letter. It's known as the letter. Um, there's a template that I give other parents <laughs> stating that vi they were violating the Affordable Care Act, Section 1557, which states insurers cannot deny based on gender identity. And to do so is grounds for a lawsuit. I sent this letter to former Governor Markell, former Director of Medicaid, and the former Secretary of Housing... Health and Human Services. And then all of a sudden, Medicaid's calling me like, so yeah, we're approving it. <laughs> um, and she became Delaware's first trans minor to get medical health care needs covered by Medicaid. Yeah, let me, I mean, like, again, I don't know how much you want to share. I, I find that idea, that transition uh, and, and being a young person pretty profound what was your feeling when you when you first started having uh conversations with her like how did you f like how did you feel about it what did you think did you think uh this is something we're gonna need to interrogate uh this is something that we have to see where it goes like i'm not a parent right this is, the reason i'm asking <laughs> this is because i'm not a parent and so like i can imagine my child coming and saying i feel like X. Yeah. I feel like so, like this. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. Like, yeah. I, it's not like it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me, but but I don't know what steps you would take. Right. Like, like I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's see where that goes. Yeah. Like, is that how it was? Sort of the, a, a process Ooh. where you're like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Again, well, and, and the reason I ask is because I'm not a parent, and I see kids, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Is this what I don't know what to do? Yeah. So it's every every parent has that different reaction. Mine was unique because she was three. So you have to imagine you're talking to a three-year-old, yeah. you know, and but what she was saying, transgender wasn't even a word in my head, but what she was saying was, I'm a girl, no matter how much you corrected her. Right. And, you know, in my family, we're very body positive, very sex positive, sexual health, um, reproductive health, all of it. So I found like a little picture of like a boy, girl, by like, it's, I forget the, it's called Where Did I Come From? It's a book children's book and so I was like well okay so which one is your body and she pointed to the man's body she's like well this is my body but then she pointed to the woman she's like but this is who I am and I was like oh <laughs> okay well 
And she was so upset. Like, she became very withdrawn. She stopped talking. And I'm like, I don't know how to, what is this? We found the only therapist at the time who worked in Delaware, <laughs> who dealt with, uh, at the time, it was called gender identity disorder. And we saw her for several months, but Trinity wasn't getting better. Um, and so she asked me, like, okay, you have a choice to make. Do you want a happy little girl or a dead little boy? Oh, I was like, I guess I have a daughter now. <laughs> and, I mean, the f beginning is just a social transition. So it's just her name, which was super easy because it was her middle name to begin with. Um, and clothes and pronouns. And she thrived. But um, what put me into poverty was that when it was time for her to start kindergarten, the school would not allow her access unless she came as a boy. So... I was like, how? Yeah, a public I mean, school. How do they? How do they? Uh... I mean, so it says boy on some document, and you have to come in pants and not like. Yeah. 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 I and wish people would understand how like sort of bizarre that really is. Well, yeah. Who cares about that? <laughs> and I just they're more concerned. Like, what about the bathroom? So yes, even back in two thousand. <laughs> Yeah, like it's just, I'm just trying to take it. Take Where's this five-year-old? There's like this five-year-old. What's going to happen in the bathroom? Like, she's going to go to the bathroom. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> she's five. They might play in a soap or something. Don't leave kids alone. But yeah, so I just, I pulled her out and I pulled her younger brother out and I homeschooled. And I remember when I'm like, I, they're like, you're going to, you're going to have to stop working. Like, I will literally live in a box to protect my daughter. And she's 18 now, you know, and she's, she's. What was that like homeschooling? Because I know like. Oh, I actually. That gets her. a funny rap because it's, <laughs> it's all different kinds of people. Who yes. Yeah. You know, so you have all the different. Yeah. Types. I had to find a homeschool group that was not religious. <laughs> right. Well, I guess I was, I was sort of asking that without asking. Yeah. I was that. like, okay, so we're definitely not Christian. <laughs> yeah, I there, mean, we luckily, don't want to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ that much. Yeah, like a little bit maybe during the history class. Yeah, maybe like a picture. But yeah, uh, like talk about this. That's fine. Luckily, there's a huge secular homeschool group that exists in Delaware, and it was fun. I actually loved it. I didn't mind it. I have smart kiddos, and I don't talk to my kids like ooji boo doo 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 boo doo. Yeah, yeah. I would be sitting there with them, be like. Did you see this shit? And they were like, "Yeah, mom." I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but now I mean, like I said, she graduates this year. My son, he got into cab. Like, <laughs> this is a Carl knows about this, but he's an elite. He's a cabbie. Elite. Oh, good. Yeah, my son's a cabbie and a then, charter school cab. I yeah. I refer to it all as the, the same, same school. Thing. Yeah, I, I don't differentiate. And then you know, I have my younger two. There's a huge gap, but um. My third born, who's going to be 12 this year, she transitioned when she was nine. But by that point, I already, like, was old hat at this. And my daughter and I had already paved the way in Delaware to make life a lot easier for her. So I haven't had to go through the same issues with her because I already made Delaware safe for her. Um, That's fascinating that, you know, you were had this experience once and then another child has it again. You're like, oh, thank God, I know what to do now. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I still hate it because girls are, oh. and she's really girly. That's my girliest girl. <laughs> and she's That's just like, funny. I need bling. I need the blingiest earrings. I mean, sometimes you need to, you need to drip out. I if mean, I'm oh. if I'm doing something, she's like, mom, you're being sus. I'm like, can y'all yes. stop using? I don't know what any of this means. That's what the kids are doing. I use the kid talk sometimes. Sometimes you got to look. We're talking to the kids. You yeah. you hang around, Carl. You know, it's a whole bunch of kids. It's like, Carl, did you go to the bathroom? Uh, I know. <laughs> Do your homework, Carl. <laughs> Carl's smarter than all of us. He's he's reading books at a prodigious rate. <laughs> yeah, but no, it. But it just turned into this. We went viral. Pretty much is what happened. My my daughter and I were. We did a video with um, a group called Trans United Fun. We did this response video to Ted Cruz when he was first bringing up the bathroom bills. 
in like 2017, 2016, 2017. And so we were part of this video and I just remember going to bed after the video went live on Facebook and then my friend waking me up at 7.30 in the morning and I was like, you do understand that after I get off this phone, I'm going to have to probably kill you because I do not get up this early. <laughs> she's like, you're going to want to see this. And she's like, sends me a link. And there was the image from one of the parts in the video of Trinity with my son Lucian in the kitchen on the top of time.com because the video went viral overnight. So she was in time. She was in essence she like all this stuff started happening <laughs> i was like no oh now i gotta talk to people <laughs> now you're in it and that's how it happened and um i worked uh with a, non a couple nonprofits, uh human rights campaign and national center for trans equality um i lobbied in dc a lot for the equality act um, I lobbied here and gave testimony for the conversion therapy ban. Um, I launched Newcastle County's first ever LGBTQ Youth Pride Festival. I helped with Nemours finally having its first gender clinic. Um, I brought drag queen story hour for the first time to Delaware. You're very and controversial. We, I'm so oh incredibly oh. controversial. I love this controversy. That they that was real great because we had the family some the family council something people um petitioning to stop the drag show or drag story time and it never happened. We had tons of people. <laughs> I mean the, the the reason I one of the reasons that I sometimes feel optimistic. I rarely feel optimistic but when I do uh, it's it's when I think about our opponents, our political opponents, and how boring they are. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way they can win because it's just not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how can they win? Nobody wants to do that. It's boring. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've been the controversy of Delaware. You know, I'm um, <laughs> I was I I love what I do. Um, and then I founded a nonprofit, but. That's on the back burner because I really want to go to, Do to Dover. I really, a lot of the work I've already done, I've done on smaller scales, even though the impact of those smaller scales have been vast. I want to be able to ensure that my children and other people's children can at least say they're proud to be from Delaware you know, wow, that's heavy because you hit me with that. I was like, Oof. <laughs> you know, at least not. I, I'm tired that we're the butt of the joke, and you know, we've got other states that could totally be that. Let's not be that anymore. <laughs> but um, I, I've my campaigning is also fun. You know, it's as fun as my picture book, which also has been banned in three states. Wait a minute! Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You have written a book <laughs> that has been banned in three states. Yes. All right. Well, this is how we're ending this up. Give us the full boat. Because I, yeah, just give us the full boat. So you have a, um, is it a children's, book. children's book? But Trent and I wrote it, My Rainbow. Right. And I got an email from Extra Magazine, which is a magazine in, in Canada, a digital magazine. And it said, hello, Deshauna. I'm a journalist from Extra Magazine. I'd like to talk to you about how it feels to know that your book's been banned. I was like, what? That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> I wrote back, it has been where? So it's been banned in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. It's been banned in Florida. Okay. It's the state of Florida. Um, and it has been banned in Texas. Okay, I've been to, I've actually been to the state of Texas, uh, Columbus, Ohio, the city, and all over Ohio. I've also been to Florida, many places. I'm not surprised by this. Because I, I'm, I, I'm guessing your book was, uh, I mean, you're, you're teaching children that other people exist. Yeah. That's very controversial. How I don't dare know if I? you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's extremely controversial. Yeah, so we laughed. I, she was downstairs. So for a hobby, Trinity builds video games from the ground up. She codes them. Oh, cool. And I call, I yell to her, I'm like, Trinity! And she's like, what? 
You're banned. Like, guess what? My rainbow's been banned in three states. She's like, ha! Yeah. <laughs> we just banned. laughed. We laughed and laughed. And I was like, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, cancel culture. Like, She's canceled. Let me just get banned. Ban me. Because yeah, I, ban- I need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I talk to people sometimes. I'm like, oh, please do something to cancel me. Please. I'd I, love to be canceled. I keep trying to hand in my two weeks notice to my kids. Yeah, they never they, accept it. They, they give me a promotion. They're like, uh, they're still working. <laughs> nope. You can't do it. But yeah, so I know I'm going to come off as a little different. Um, I'm ready for it. It's. I'm already having a lot of fun with it. Um, I just put a new person on my campaign team who can speak and read in Spanish. So I'm getting my lit also um, translated into Spanish because if I'm going to stand on the ground of equity and empowerment for my district, then I'm going to make sure people who do not speak English can also read and learn what I do. Well, um, I, I... I, I do a lot of talking and thinking and reading about, like, local politics. Not the way Carl does as a science. I do it more like an art. And it seems to me that it's important that the people who uh, organize and, and advocate and represent people uh, come from the people. And you don't represent like an interest group. Or like the lobbyists don't know who you are. It's good actually. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't really, you don't have like a, you know, you don't have preconceived notions of like what the process is. You represent the people. I um I heard Christian Smalls interviewed yesterday mm-hmm. today I think who just organized a union in New York in Amazon and I'm just like uh, you know there's a big Amazon facility near where I grew up yeah right uh, over in Boxway <laughs> so I'm very excited by this turn of events and one of the things he said when he was asked to juxtapose his organizing versus Bessemer, Alabama, they're trying to organize an Amazon plant there. And they've had, they haven't won yet. They've had some successes and they've done it differently. What is the one thing that you think that you've done they haven't done? And he said, we had an inside game. It was just us. It was people who either worked there or used to work there. Mm -hmm. And so when we went to the bus stop, we talked to the people who were coming and going. They knew who we were. We had worked with them. We lived with them. Uh, we were able to talk to our friend who came from, uh, they were Afro-Caribbean and spoke a different language. They could talk to you. Uh, they knew, you know, they were Asian and they know where, they know that you could go get food here. It's really good. Or we'll bring it to you at the bus stop. Right. Like it was someone who understood people at the grassroots and people's struggles. Mm-hmm. Every All kinds of people. And I just, I, I think it's profound. And I think it's important. And I'm so happy that you're doing this. Well, thank you. I, I've i been there. And I, I think a lot of times right now our elected officials, at least the ones, the older ones, they don't know. And maybe some of them do, but I don't, I think quite a few of them don't know what it's like to have to choose between do I let my kids play outside in fear they might get hit by a drive-by shooting? Or do I keep them inside, but my house is, my housing is not as stable as it used to be because of environmental damage and no help? Do I feed my kids or put gas in my car? Do I look at the dirty street that has once been my neighborhood or do I reach out to my officials who may not even respond to me to see if we can get someone out here to clean up when I was doing my first canvas and I was talking to people the question I I would ask is um, 
Do you know who your district representative is? And most of them was like, not really. And the ones who did were like, but we don't even try to talk to them anymore because he doesn't respond to us anyway. And that's where the empowerment came from. The concept of empowering their the people and their voices and bringing that to Dover. Because I don't want to go to Dover and speak for the people. I never do anything for the people. My activism is doing things with the people. When you're doing things for, you're not giving them a voice. You're making assumptions of what they need or don't need. But when you're doing it with them, it's because you've already been on the ground with them and you already know the struggle. So you're taking them with you to give you the strength to help empower their voices. And that's truly why I had chose, I've chosen to run for District 13. There's nothing more left to say, folks. Because um, that's it. It's with the people. It's not for the people. Is this, is this some kind of tested, uh, can we use that? I mean, are you going to use that on, you should put that on, are we putting that on literature? <laughs> can Maybe. we put that on posters and shit? <laughs> that's that's like, that's good. <laughs> we got to put that on some stuff. <laughs> Coffee mugs. Love it. Merch. <laughs> Dude, co-branded po- podcast uh, campaign merch. It's not for the people. It's with the people. With the people. I wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> so good. You know who thought of it? Deshaun and Neil. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for coming. Um, we're going to have all of the links in the show notes about how to volunteer for her campaign, about how to donate to her campaign, about how to read about um, what the, the movement and what we're going to do with each other, not for each other, etc. Uh, but it'll all be there. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I try, I try not to think about electoral politics, and then when the time comes and I meet everybody, I get pretty pumped up. <laughs> I get very pumped up. Yeah, I'm excited. My well, mom, yeah, she's like, shut up. Well, that's parent stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Folks, um, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, just like in, in RD13, just like here in Highlands Bunker. Left's best. <laughs>